Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I ask you a question. How many of you that are listening to this conversation want to shift your mind? If you want to shift your mind, then you need to stay tuned because I've got a guy that has written a book by that very title. He is the author of the book, Shift Your Mind, as I mentioned a moment ago. He's a mental performance and executive coach and works on mindset and leadership. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into a lot of other things. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Levinson, L-E-V-N-S-O-N. But you can find him right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brian Levinson joins me today. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. Brian, it's weird to say Brian back to you, but thanks for having me on the podcast, Brian. And and hopefully we won't say Brian too many times in our conversation today, but really grateful to be here. Glad to be here and um, excited to share some things that I've learned along my way. I believe our parents were pretty brilliant in the way they named <laughs> us. I mean, it, it's, it's the greatest name on the planet. I mean, you know, it, doing a study of the name Brian, it means strength. So let's really? start. Yeah. So wait, let's, wait, wait. Tell me more about that. I don't know about my name. Tell yeah. So it's a, it's a Celtic name, the okay. way we spell it, B-R-I-A-N. Those of you watching on, on YouTube, uh, if you're not watching on YouTube and you're listening, Brian spells his name like I spell it, B-R-I-A-N. The right way. It's the right yeah, way. Yes, the, the, right, the correct the right way. way. That's exactly right. It's, it's the correct the right way. way. And so Brian is is a Celtic word, and it means strong or strength. So... That's the origin of of the first name Brian. So see, I get to learn something every day. I didn't know. I, you know, I, I think I knew that maybe it had some Irish roots, but um, I'm certainly not Irish. I don't have any Irish in me. I think my parents just like the name. Interestingly enough, my daughter's name is Marin, and I think that also is rooted in Irish roots. So maybe there's something in our blood that we just are drawn to those names. I think there's my last name's Levinson, so there's a draw to an N and then another N with the first name and the last name, but I never knew strength. I'll take it. I'd rather be, my, my <laughs> company is actually called strong skills. So the That's idea right. of the company is that 
we want to change how the world thinks about soft skills because I come from a sports background and in sports, if you say something or someone is soft, you cut them, you release them, you trade them. Uh, whereas strong is often a good quality. So maybe there's something in there as well that, that we can unpack together. So let's go there. Let's start. Let's start there. You know, the, the pandemic the last couple of years has changed a lot of things in our world. It changed. It has changed the way certainly people view training and development because now it's it's becoming more virtual based than it has been for the longest time. Been person to person. the The thought was the 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 more effective you could be in person, the the better retention and and things like that that you would get from that. And now it's it's more virtual based. As you look at the landscape and you look at the shift for the last couple of years. Maybe, you know, what you've seen in your company, what have you seen or what lesson have you taken from the last couple of years that once we're out of this completely, and I, I believe that time's coming faster and faster. What's one lesson that you learned the last couple of years that you'll carry forward in future years around your company or maybe personally as well? Layer two things in there. So I'll answer the second part and I'll come back to the first part. As far as lessons learned during the pandemic, for me, I was somebody who built my business with, I think, some structure. And so I put self-imposed rules on myself. I can't come home until this time. I can't do this or that. And for me, the last two years have been an exploration and experimentation into doing things a little differently. And so there have been times during the pandemic where it's four o'clock and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go play with my kids. Um, or we have a hot tub in our backyard. Hey, let's just go in the hot tub. It's all good. Um, or maybe I pick my kids up from school or maybe I, you know, I, I created some new habits. Um, I don't even call them habits, new behavior that I gave myself permission to do. Whereas in the past, I sort of said, Hey, when I'm at the office, I'm at the office and I'm staying at the office focused until this time. I think I've experimented with flipping back and forth. And I think that's been really healthy for me. And I've given myself more, autonomy and grace and freedom to explore doing things a little differently. And, and that's been, that's been really cool uh, and, and unique. So there've been definitely differences in how I operate sort of my, in my work day. And then to go back to just from a macro level and zooming out, I come from a sports background, as I mentioned earlier. So I got my master's in sports psychology uh, and it's interesting. I graduated in 2011 and when I graduated, they started to do online courses at my grad school. And I remember saying to them, I think this needs to be in person. Like, I don't think you can do this work online. I think mm -hmm. we need to come together and, and you need to have an, you know, in-person uh, learning. And I will tell you over the last two years, I have done a number of facilitations and workshops over Zoom. I've done some online learning. Uh, I think we have changed as far as how we learn. And I think the technology is here now in a really profound way. We're recording this over, over zoom. Yeah. Um, and I think people are now more open and curious and aware of the possibilities of technology to allow us to get better and learn and grow. And, and that's exciting to me. And, and so that's another change that I think has really risen over the last two years. You know, it's funny. There's a couple of things that, that I, I captured from what you just said there. 
I want to go here first, and then and then because I I I'm fascinated by what you were talking about with the sports background, and I want to get your thoughts around something that I've noticed the last couple of years in in that arena. And I'm I'm a huge sports fan myself, but I want to talk about how you went from a structure that you had on a daily basis. How tough was it to shift your mind? And and again, to quote your to quote the title of your book, how how hard was it to take that structure? Because for some people, they they thrive on structure. They live on structure. They want to it, it's if 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 you bring something that's disruptive to to their structure, it really just messes them up for for lack of a better term. How were you able to shift your mind? around the structures that you had put in place and give yourself that permission to have that freedom to say, hey, at four o'clock, I'm going to go home and play with my kids. We're, we're going to get in the hot tub like you just mentioned. Was that a hard mind shift or was it an easy mind shift? So it's important to know that I work for myself. So I don't work for a company or an organization. And there are absolutely certain jobs where you don't have the autonomy. A waiter has to be at the restaurant at a certain time. You know, if a doctor is doing surgery, they have to be there at a certain time to do surgery. My work, I set my own schedule. So uh, I, I recognize that that is a privilege that not everybody has. And so with setting that schedule for years, I would just fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it. Um, and I don't regret that. I think that that's part of what's earned me the right to be able to be agile and flexible and say no to certain things. And so I think it was a process for me. Um, but to go back to your question, as far as how I think about it, we're really talking about discipline. And for me, discipline is all about focused habits. So what is focus? Focus is directed attention. Where am I directing my attention? Habits are something that we repeatedly do and hopefully we don't have to give a whole lot of mind share to. So brushing your mm -hmm. teeth becomes a habit. I don't skip brushing my teeth. And I think that's probably a good thing. At least my dentist would say that. Um, but the word focus is a big deal because there are times where I've realized that some of those habits don't need to necessarily be the same every single day. And, and to be honest, like for me, I want to feel alive as much as possible. And feeling alive sometimes is being improvisational. And saying to my wife, hey, let's go out to dinner tonight. Um, let's get a nanny. Let's, let's go out. Um, I think that's a part of living. And I think it's been one of the hard parts of the last two years for many of us is that we haven't necessarily had the quote unquote freedom to navigate everything the way that we want to, which is stifling and frustrating and difficult. Um, but the word that I'm going to really harp on is agility. And so for me, during the pandemic, I've really focused, directed my attention to being agile. I wanted to be able to look at my calendar and say, you know what? I actually can do this. Or what can I do? Because there yeah. have been so many restrictions on what we can't do. And acknowledge that there are things that I'm not going to be able to do right now. That there are restrictions. And that's the nature of the pandemic. So if there are elements that I can't control, what is it that I can and how can I be agile enough to go toward those? So I think a lot of people that are type A and highly competitive and structured and disciplined struggled with the pandemic because they didn't go toward the ag the agility that they needed right. to be able to navigate it. And if you're always going to do things exactly the way you had done them before, you were probably going to run into a lot of friction. So for me, I really directed my attention to agility and tried to emphasize it and have some grace for myself if I felt 
like, Hey, I'm, I'm good. Like I put in a full day's work. I, I did what I needed to do because the nature of my job is there's times at night where I'm working. There's some times on the weekend I'm working. Uh, I try yeah. to put parameters around those as well. So I can be present for my family. But when you work for yourself, there are all kinds of, you kind of always on, at least in your head. And so I, I really try to emphasize having agility. Well, and, and here's the thing too, that, that I love that. And, and there's a sports angle to that too, is a lot of times professional athletes, when they retire, They've done something for so long. I, I listened to to Aaron Rodgers last week, and he was talking about, and he, he was talking to, to Pat McAfee, and they're friends, and he said, you know, he said, for 25-plus years, I've played football. I started playing football in the eighth grade. So now here I am. I was He was probably 12 or 13. He started playing football. So there's the schedule of football where it's if you play football and that's all you play you know from July to December you're into football football practice games things like that then if you have an off-season program things like that now it's to the point where if someone is is a a up-and-coming football player they're going to camps and they're doing this and they're doing that so it's really structured and disciplined and a lot of pro athletes you hear the them say the biggest thing I struggled with retirement was not the competition, but it was the discipline of what I had to do every day. I had to be here in the building on this day. I had to lift at this time. I had to meet with my position coach at this time. I had to be in this meeting. And you talk about that um, in your newsletter that, that I that I subscribe to about owning your schedule. So I want to I want to jump off there because was that something for you that's always been something that you were good at was owning your schedule. Cause I think, I think a lot of people, and I would be the guilty about that. And that's really what drew me was there are times we don't own our schedule. Our schedule owns us. What was the impetus for you to really get around and forgive me for kind of pivoting hard left there, but what you said there really made me harken back to what you wrote a couple of weeks ago about owning your schedule. And it sounds to me like you really took stock in that the last couple of years and said, I'm going to own my schedule more than I've ever owned it before. For sure. I, and you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and athletes, and they have to show up at this time and do this. And the bus leaves then. I think it's hard for uh, athletes to transition out of sport. I talked to a pro athlete yesterday, and you know he's struggling with the transition. He, he retired in 2017. And I said, hey, what are you up to now? He's like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, because for over 10 years, like he was told where to be, when to be there. And then they do everything in professional sports to try to allow the athlete to focus on preparing the way they need to prepare and executing the way they need to execute. And so I think a lot of athletes do that. They're, they can be great at executing and preparing, but they're not necessarily always thinking about how do I create my own schedule and how do I create just generally, how do I go out and, and actually interact with the world in that way. Do you um, mind if I jump in here? Yeah, You're yeah. really diving in on something there because here's what I was thinking as you were, as you were talking about that. You mentioned agility a couple of minutes ago. If there's a quarterback that is really good at improvisation, people are, are just like, wow, this guy, I think of Russell Wilson. We mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Um, to some Patrick degree, Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, to some degree, and you saw it as a coming out, thankfully, as a lifelong Bengals fan, Joe Burrow doing doing some things and really lifting his team in those moments because 
of the flexibility, you know, the, the coaches talked about in the Tennessee game, in the, in the, in the divisional round, where Burrow's headset went out and he called about four plays and he had four com- straight completions. And, and Zach Taylor said, you know, as much as he'd like to call plays, you know, at some point down the road, we'll probably let him do that, just not right now. I think to some degree, athletes want to because the play's called, you run the play, here's what you're supposed to do. Cooper Cup, I mean, a tremendous example of, of just using Devontae Adams, using their ability to, to be agile to create and free form inside of a route and know where to get to the open space and, and, and their quarterbacks. Is it hard? And you mentioned being around pro athletes. So let's go here for a second. What comparison can we draw from executing? Because it seems like the, the coach always says, Brian, he, the, the coach will say, we'll run the play the way we called it. Even though, when you get under center as the quarterback, you're seeing something the coach isn't seeing. That's calling the audible. How important is execution for us in our day-to-day schedule as opposed to having the ability to audible? I hope I asked that question right, but that's what you were kind of triggering was the schedule says, here's what we have to execute. And our minds say, but I want the ability to audible. I want the ability to call an audible if I have to. Yeah. So I think every human being, typically there's research around this and there's something called self-determination theory where the most determined employees typically have competence. They're good at what they do. They have autonomy, the freedom to make decisions and they have relatedness. They feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. They have relationships. And so I think that's worth sort of backstopping this conversation because a lot of what you're talking about is that middle piece of autonomy. Do you have the freedom to make decisions and pivot and audible or adjust? So if I were to zoom back out from what you were talking about, yes, I think there are plenty of athletes who are disciplined to lift, to eat a certain way, to show up when they're supposed to be showed up, show up. And then when they get between the lines, they know they have to run the play and have the discipline to do that. And a lot of the athletes have to have the creativity and improvisational ability to say, oh, this is actually a different read. I need to adjust my sales. Um, But I think if we go away from sports, you can see the same thing. So let's take a salesperson. A a salesperson needs to, you know, call, make a certain amount of calls. They have to have the discipline to do that every single day. Then they have to show up when there's a meeting scheduled. Um, But then when the meeting starts, like even before we started recording the podcast, you said basically, hey, Brian, I like to dance. I like to listen and see where the conversation goes. And I don't want it to be just a a bunch of bullet points. And so- that agility or flexibility as a salesperson is the same thing. A great salesperson has to listen and learn and be creative about what other solutions might exist for this specific client. So they have to have the discipline to show up and the agility to be able to work inside that framework. I think the challenge as we go to owning your own schedule for me comes from, all right, you're not a salesperson anymore. You're not an athlete anymore. Now you're Brian Levinson LLC. And we all have Brian Sexton LLC. So we all have our own company, so to speak, even if we're working within a organization. And what I mean by that is you have kids, you have a family, 
you have your church, which is important to you. So whatever is involved with Brian Sexton LLC, we need to think about where does work align and fit with all the other elements of my life. And so when I say own your schedule, you may work at a factory from nine to five, and that might be the reality for you. And you have to be there from nine to five. They're not going to give you the flexibility to not show up you know, on the line in the factory. That might be the reality, and I'm not ignorant to that. And what are you doing once you leave there? And how can you own your schedule away from there? Or what can you do on the weekends to own your schedule there? If you're like me and you actually get to decide your schedule, rather than just filling it, which I can do, what gives me energy? What makes me feel alive? And how can I intentionally carve out space for that stuff? And maybe instead of seeing a client, maybe I'll go play around a golf. Or maybe I'll go with my kids and see them perform. My daughter has a concert on Friday. It's the first concert that she's been able, they're letting parents come to um, that we've had to watch on Zoom. So I made that a priority. And if I have to shift yeah. things around, that's yeah. owning my own schedule. But it's different for each of us. I would just encourage people to not let others drive their schedule. And even this podcast, we, I think, set it up a while back. I schedule things out that are not important and urgent for me to do usually a month out because it doesn't mean I don't care about it. It right. still might be important, but if it's not urgent, we, it can wait. And so often we forget to ask somebody, how urgent is this for you? When do you need this by? And then we can decide if it makes sense for us to do it. Instead, we just say, yep, I can fill it. I've got Wednesday available at 10 o'clock. Let's do it. Um, and then we never have space to create or to be, uh, just to be, and trust me, I work hard, I'm busy, but I'm not, my goal isn't to be busy. My goal is to be productive. I don't want to live a life of busyness. I want to live a life of feeling alive and feeling productive, um, and being great with how I'm spending my time. And so a few years ago, I started, when, once I had kids, this really changed for me, Brian. Once I had kids, working on the weekends, working in the evening was not appealing or attractive to my family lifestyle. So I, even though I still do some work in the evening after they go to bed, or I do some work sometimes on the weekends, my, my work is not set up for me to work on the weekends or at nights, and that's owning my own schedule. I love that. Let's step aside and take a break. When we come back, I want to park on what you said there about things that in your schedule that give you energy because that's a really important concept, and I love what you said there about that. So I want to, when we come back, I want to talk about the energy that we get from activities. I'm going to also talk about Brian's book, and then a little bit later, I'm going to tell Brian's story. I have the author of the book, Shift Your Mind, Mental Performance and Executive Coach, Brian Levinson joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back with us here in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us, and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt, or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. 
products for profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you, too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement. And you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brian, you were talking before the break, and I love what you said about what gives me energy. Because there's a lot of things in our lives and our schedules that zap energy, right? So if we're so we're taking an hour to do a task, um, let's say it is to um, do something around the house um, or something like that, we're expending energy. But what you're really talking about are things that give you energy. I want you to go a little deeper, if you would on exploring how we find those things in our schedule and in our lives that give us energy, that return something back to us instead of expending that thing in doing whatever task it is that we have scheduled. Yeah, well, sometimes doing things that are hard and expending energy actually is very fulfilling. Uh, Working out, for example, if we work out, we tend to feel better, right? Because we use that. So it's not necessarily doing easy things, um, but it is carving out space for the things that I would say make us feel alive. And I use that phrase very intentionally because when I first started getting in psychology, I did a lot of research and studying around positive psychology. And the idea of positive psychology is really what causes us to be well, um, Mm -hmm. what causes us to be happy. So there's a whole science around happiness and what leads to happiness. And I think it's really interesting research and I I embedded into the work that I do. And what I started to recognize was that the goal for me isn't happiness. A lot of people say success is happiness. I don't know. I went to a funeral recently and I felt alive and as messed up as that sounds, I think death is a reality that we don't always wrestle with. And I think wrestling with it and thinking about it, actually helps us make us feel more alive. I'm watching the Kanye West documentary. I feel alive when I watch that documentary because I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by him. I think he's a really interesting character. Um, and so I can get energy from that. I, I'm reading Dan Pink's new book on regrets. Like I can get energy from that. But I also get energy. The most energy I have in my day is I now work from home and, and my office is upstairs. And I used to have an office around around the corner and I used to come home and I'd park my car in the garage and I'd walk through the door and my kids would run up to me and say, daddy's home, daddy's home. And I love that. And when the pandemic hit and I started working from home, I would come downstairs and it'd be like nothing. 
oh, dad's, dad's been home the whole time. So I actually trained my kids to run up to me and we practiced it and we worked on it. So when I come down the stairs, they run up to me now and they say, daddy's home. That makes me feel alive. And so to me, there is great value in carving out time and intentionally setting space for you to feel alive. And part of it is dealing with sadness and frustration and anger. You mentioned earlier, um, you, you did a prayer before we started recording. Yeah. You talked about the challenges that are going on in the world. Look, we're recording this when there is a war going on that threatens not just the Ukraine, but the entire world. Like, we're going to have fun having this conversation, but let's put it in perspective. Like, there's something big boiling right now in our world. Um, and so we need to be able to acknowledge that we need to feel some of the fear that exists with that. I don't think shoving that into a corner and just being happy is healthy. I think we need yeah. to be aware. We need to educate ourselves. We need to learn what's going on. Um, I think those are part of being a great citizen. So, so to make a long story short, how are you carving out space for yourself to not just do things that give you pleasure, but do things that give you energy, do things that help you grow, do things that help you be maybe present and be attentive to what's going on. And to your point, what saps that? And by the way, I have stuff that saps that, that I have yeah, to do. Taxes, absolutely. Not fun. I get a lot of 1099s for my work. I'm collecting all the 1099s and sending it to an accountant. Like I don't enjoy that. Keeping my finances. I don't enjoy those things. They don't give me energy. And they're part of my reality if I run my own business that I have to do. So I think for us, there's enough in this world that won't give us energy that we still have to do from a day-to-day -day basis that it makes sense for us to then carve out space for those things that do make us feel alive and do give us energy. Because if we don't, then we may not ever feel that. Well, and it's, and it's funny you mention that because there is a, a cliche in sports that we talk about all the time. And it's, oh, that guy plays with great energy. That guy, that, you know, that guy has a high motor. Those are things you hear all the time. Unfortunately, as a Bengals fan, uh, Aaron Donald found his motor in the in the fourth quarter of that game and just started destroying the Bengals' offensive line in the Super Bowl. But again, you hear people talk about Aaron Donald. It's high energy, high motor, and things like that. But it would be physically impossible for Aaron Donald to play every snap of, of every game and, and, and now a 17-game NFL season and playoffs and say, okay, Aaron, we want you to have that same energy on play one in the first quarter as, as you would have on play number 70 in the fourth quarter. And by the way, we're not you're, you're going to stay on the field the whole time. You're going to stay on the field. Um, you're only coming off the field when the offense comes off comes onto the field. You can't do that. Even with high motor guys, they've got to come out for a play, catch their breath, and come back in. It's because if you don't do that, you're going to wear them out. Have you run into people or have you noticed people that you work with or things like that 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 try to operate in high energy and just find themselves at times where they just need that break or they just need that, that downshifting? Because I, I believe... Brian, that's a mind shift as well. Is sometimes we 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 take on so many tasks, or we take on. You, you mentioned it a moment ago. 
filling your schedule to be busy. And that's the new thing that people love to do is I'm so busy. I don't have room and I'm always moving and doing and things like that. It, what happens to that person that has to shift their mind downward to gain that energy that they need? Because again, if you didn't take him out of the game, um, there would not be that energy late in the game. I hope I'm, I hope I'm making sense there. I'm trying to, to really hone in on that, that energy piece, because I really, that's, that's so good to really just dive in a little more there. Yeah. So I think energy is really interesting. First of all, I've worked with a lot of pro athletes. Many of them don't need to be pumped up before they play. Many of them need to be calmed down. According to them, you'll, I ask them all the time, do you, would you rather be pumped up or calmed down before you're about to perform? For a lot of them, they actually need to relax um, rather than get hyped. I've been, I worked with a college football team and football is really interesting because you're, you're mentioning football. You know, a college football team has 105 people on it. Yeah. And you think about a football team, there's a kicker, there's a wide receiver, there's a cornerback, there's a linebacker, there's defensive lineman, offensive lineman, running back, what, et cetera. Their roles are different. Like a kicker doesn't, probably need to get jacked up just like a golfer doesn't really need to get jacked up maybe they need to take a breath and calm themselves down so they can just direct their attention to their target and the energy or the intensity could get in the way for them whereas a linebacker maybe Vontez perfect if you're a Bengals fan like maybe he does need to play with an edge and an intensity that maybe borders on on anger um, the issue with anger is that when we get angry, our decision-making tends to go down. Our focus tends to really narrow. So it can help us in short spurts, but it can really lead to bad decision-making, uh, dumb plays, et cetera, et cetera. So whenever an athlete says, I play better when I'm angry, and I've heard that before, I usually say, hey, how can we change from anger to energy? Because what they're really looking for is that intensity, that adrenaline, that burst, so to speak. And to me, energy, I think of a thermostat and a thermometer. Uh, a thermometer, you know, it just takes in whatever the environment is, whatever the climate says the temperature is. Whereas a thermostat, you set it. And so back to Aaron Donald, I would imagine he wants to set his thermostat to be at a certain level of energy. And that doesn't mean that the environment or the intensity might get too high or maybe it gets too low. And yeah, I think that's where rest or subs or timeouts can help us rebuild and reinvigorate our energy. Um, and, and to bring up the point that you're making, yeah, I think rest is immensely valuable, both from a day-to-day uh, -day standpoint and getting sleep or, or exercising. You know, you can't just stress yourself. You also have to rest your muscles. I mean, rest is massive. Um, as it relates to a performer, I would always talk to them about being a thermostat instead of a thermometer. So you can be consistent with your confidence. You can be consistent with your energy. Um, you may lose some stamina. You might get physically tired, but how do we leverage your self-talk to really make sure that it's, it's activating rather than debilitating? How can we use your breath so that it's activating rather than debilitating? Yeah. So those are themes in sports psychology that we talk about all the time. Here's something I think is interesting. And I want to go here for just a second, Brian. We're talking about how to, to help regulate the, the temperature of an athlete. You know, it, again, I love what you said there. Most, most pro athletes try to calm themselves be, because they know if you're an NBA player, you're going to go into a 48-minute game where you've got, you're going to be running up and down the court, a lot of cutting, moving, stopping, starting. 
a baseball player, a pitcher, every five days, they've got to get themselves ready to go out and throw as many innings as possible. You know, let's say a guy like Max Scherzer, a guy that's built for, you know, Max Scherzer wants the ball. Max Scherzer would probably take the ball every day if you'd let him. That's the kind of competitor that he is. He And, and he wants to throw nine innings every day. How do you, let, let's talk about leaders. And, and I want to talk to leaders for a second and coaches. The mindset of, of especially in, in pro and college sports and, and at the division one level, you mentioned 105 scholarship athletes. You look at guys like Nick Saban, the head coach of the University of Alabama, Bill Belichick. I can think of the NBA, Brad Stevens, who was the Celtics head coach and now is uh, the vi- is the president of basketball operations with the Boston Celtics. Um, Sean McVay, the head coach of the, the Los Angeles Rams. These guys are notorious for how long they work and how hard they work and the driver-driver mentality. How, how do you keep an athlete regulated when a lot of times, and Sean McVay has been famous for I'm getting into the office at 4.15 in the morning. You know, I, I, I love the fact that I can function on four or five hours sleep a night. Um, legendary, the legendary coach of the, the and, and is now going into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Dick Vermeil, actually burned out in the early 80s because he was working 18, 19, 20 hours a day. How do you regulate people as a coach and regulate your team to a certain performance level when you yourself are burning the midnight oil as, as almost kind of a badge of honor. When we talk about energy, how does that leader keep themselves energized when they are just, it seems that as though they are grinding on a daily basis? It's a great question. I think football has a problem with this. Uh, I've seen it um, collegially in the NFL. Uh, let's just start there. I think football coaches have more control over the outcome than probably any other coach because they get yeah. to call the plays. It's a start and stops game. Like they really can impact in a dramatic way. Of course, players, they still have to execute and, and players will always win championships. But well, a lot of coaches, them are making the personnel decisions too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was watching a video today with an NFL coach on the board and, and working on the draft. And Belichick's famous for attending senior this and, you know, all this stuff and combines going on as we as we as we speak. So let's just talk about football for a second. I, I don't have all the answers. I've never been uh, a football coach. And I don't believe in one size fits all. So what works for Saban might be different than what works for McVay might be different than what works yeah. for Mike Tomlin. What might be di- like it. It's, I, I just don't believe in one size fits all. However, I do think there are challenges within the coaching world when it comes to health. Um, and we've seen that play out. Uh, and, you know, Urban Meyer burned out. And, and then there are other challenges that he just ran into. Um, I'm from Washington, D.C., so Joe Gibbs was our guy. And, and come the early 90s, like, he needed to step away. Um, and, and so I think those... Those sort of, you know, 4 a.m., you know, put a bed. I, you know, I, I knew a coach who bragged about having a bed in their office. And I was like, that's not, I don't think I'd brag about it. Um, I think that A, it hinders our performance. B, it hinders our culture. Um, and I think there are problems with it. However, when Bill Belichick wins as much as he wins and when Nick Saban wins as much as they win, it's hard to go against those, those, 
concepts. So what I would say to a coach, if I was working with a coach would say, Hey, what works for you? Let's have a conversation. And what works for your family, by the way, too, because here's the other challenge is if you're going to do all that, there's a toll that might impact you outside of football, which could then impact you back in your profession. So I think that that's worth, that's worth noting. I don't have the answers. I think sleep, the science on sleep is pretty profound now and how it impacts decision-making and, and performance that, I think getting four hours of sleep for most human beings is probably not ideal. There was an article about Sean McVay about how he probably will work for a few more years and then maybe try to do TV um, because health matters and he doesn't have kids yet, but probably will. Um, And I think he mentioned that a lot of his peers, he sees the relationship that they have, by the way, this exists outside of sports too, with CEOs and business people where they need to really think about what is it that they want? What does success look like? And the last thing I'll tell you, you mentioned Brad Stevens. I actually had a conversation with Brad Stevens years ago. It was right after um, he had taken Butler to the finals and then was in the midst of taking them to the finals again. And when I talked to him, he was on his way home to be with his family. And it was like three o'clock. Uh, in the afternoon and he scheduled our call for his commute home and we talked the entire time and when i say we talked the entire time brad stevens asked me a million questions and i barely got to ask him any questions and one of the things that i shared with him he actually took and started implementing with his team so brad is one of the most humble curious learners i've ever spent time around let alone coaches um and i would add Look, he's the head coach of the Boston Celtics and doing a damn good job at it. I don't know him. I haven't talked to him in a long time, and I don't know him personally. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine part of the reason that he decided to move to the general manager spot is because of his lifestyle. And so I think that um, it's for each of us to figure out what success looks like and what works for Belichick hopefully works for Belichick and what works for Saban hopefully works for Saban. And then I think it's for each of us to figure out, Hey, what, what do I need? And what does my family need? If I have a family or, you know, is there a clear understanding with my partner as far as what the expectations are? And I think like, I'm not here to judge any of those people. I know for me in my life, I really care about being home for dinner. And for a lot of sports coaches, they can't, they can't have that. They're on the road. They're traveling. For you, Brian, you have to travel a lot for your job. Yeah. So it may not be feasible for you and your job to be home for dinner. Uh, for me, that was something that I I really wanted. And so I've made decisions in my career to try to make that happen. So I think regardless of what it is that you want, are you being intentional to use your word with how you're going about doing it? Are you being intentional with the amount of sleep you get? Are you being intentional with when you get into the office? Are you being intentional with what you're doing with your family? Are you communicating with them clearly, openly, and transparently? I think those are the keys. And so when I work with people, it's not for me to say what they should do or shouldn't do, but it is for me to explore with them, hey, is this intentional or is this something that you're just doing you know, mindlessly uh, and blindly um, and you're just doing just because that's the way it's always been done. So that's my job in a nutshell is to challenge people and, and help them figure out for themselves what is it that they want and what gives them fulfillment. I got to go here real quick and then we'll step aside and take a break and get into your story because you really said something profound there. It's the pursuit of whatever that success piece looks like for you. And in in the world of professional sports and in coaching, a lot of guys have taken the mindset of we've got to work 15 or 16-hour days because, because someone is going to outwork us, and therefore 
the the people that outwork us are going to be more successful on Sundays, or they're going to be more successful over an 82-game schedule in the NBA or 162 games in baseball. Pick your sport, the NHL, whatever sport it is. Professional golf, that's a great example. Guys hitting 1,000 balls a day, hitting all kinds of shots because if I'm not out here working, someone is going to outwork me and and I'm going to to take a step back. And, and it's the same way in business a lot of times. When an entrepreneur starts a company, if I don't work these hours, someone my competition is going to outwork me. And we've not figured out what success looks like. I think that's that is something, Brian, you that was very, very well said because we try to to mimic what someone else tells us success looks like. If you're not doing this, you're not successful. If you're not doing that, I had, a, I had someone ask me one time when I wrote my first book or I wrote People Buy From People. They said, how many copies have you sold? My answer was pretty simple. I don't know. I don't care. It's not why I wrote the book. For me, success was completing the book, getting it out there. It was, an, it was to honor my late father. That was the that was the primary impetus of writing that book and sharing some things about him and introducing him to people that would never meet him. That's what success looked like for me. Someone else that writes a book, they might say, well, I want to sell 10 million copies or I want to be an international bestseller, whatever it is. I love what you said there about success, the way it looks to you. Let me finish with this question to you, Brian. As you have looked the last couple of years, have have you redefined in your own life what success means to you? For sure. It's it's interesting. I, I do a visioning exercise as far as like, where do you want to go? So to me, identifying our own personal values is essential. Identifying our mission, like why we do what we do. So you're talking about your book and, and why you did it to honor your late father. That's to me, your mission. Uh, a personal philosophy is sort of, hey, how do I want to operate? How do I want to navigate? And then a vision is, hey, what, what is it that I want? And what is it that I will do? And so I used to have the, my vision, which read, I will do what I love when I want with clients I love. So I can be there for those I love. There's a lot of love. Uh, yeah. So that I can feel alive as often as possible. So I mentioned that feeling alive earlier. It's adjusted. It's changed. So right now I, I simplified it to I will do what I love when I want while working with elite clients and earning an elite income. So I actually do. I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, money doesn't matter. Like, no, oh, I, I think it does. And I think money leads to freedom. And I think it's, it, for me, it, it helps me have like a scoreboard and, and make sure that I'm heading in the right direction and that I'm not just doing what I enjoy doing just for pleasure. I think for me, I value money. I think I value currency. I think we live in a capitalist society and and there's value that comes with money. I like nice things. I'm, I like going out to dinner and getting a bottle of wine and not having to stress about it. I think money can absolutely help. And so for me, that elite income piece, the older I get, I, I do value that. I And I do want that as part of my my success. Um, just like a coach. I mean, if you're, if you're coaching at a professional or college level or Olympic level, yeah, winning should be part of it. I, I just have a hard time. You're getting paid in part to win. And I don't, I don't think we should run away from that. Um, I value process as much as the next guy and I value winning. Like I, I like it. I, yeah. I, I think it's important. So 
but but love is important too and doing what i want autonomy is big deal for me my vision if it's just about others and it's not also about what i want then i don't think that's success so for me success is really about my vision um but i have my own mission i have my values i actually have different personal values and professional values i i think it's okay to have different professional values and personal values humans are complex. Like we are dynamic beings. And so for me, at least I love the idea of identifying success and by no means would I ever preach or push that onto someone else. I think for each of us, it's important to identify what success means to us. And once again, as a coach, that's what I do most of my day and most of my time. It's my job to really challenge people, make sure that they're being intentional and thoughtful and if I feel like they're bullshitting, I need to be able to say, hey, man, I, I think there's something else there. Um, let's explore it. And so uh, at my core, I want to help people get from where they are to where they want to go. And that's my job as a coach. And I'm extremely passionate about it. Uh, and, you know, I wrote a book just like you. And for me, the mission behind the book is is really to try to make an impact in a different way than I can from a one-on-one -on -one coaching um, capacity, I think you know, why do you write a book? I, I think, you know, it, it helped me learn. I learned a ton personally and professionally. Yeah. I was able to share impact and influence the world. I, I got clear on my thoughts and ideas. Uh, it helped me with marketing for my coaching business. Um, so there were dollars that were definitely connected to it. Um, and then it was ridiculously fulfilling at the end of it to say, hey, like I did this hard thing. Um, yeah, I mean, fulfillment to me, success usually involves what do you want and what will give you fulfillment? If you can get both of those, and once, once again, we've said, hey, some people might want to fly private. Some people might want a beach house. Some people might not care at all about those things and, and just want to have enough money in the bank that they don't have to worry about money. Some people want to be able to be home for dinner. Once are for each of us to decide. And then fulfillment is the piece that we often forget to, to circle around and think about is, hey, what would, what's meaningful to me? What, what would really lead to me having a fulfillment, fulfilling career? Um, and life, to be honest. So those are the places I always go with my clients is, hey, what do you want and what would allow you to be fulfilled? And that intersection is just beautiful if you can find it. That's so good. Let's step aside, take a break. I want to save a few minutes for Brian's story because that's really the reason I wanted to have him on. This is so good, man. We could, we could do probably three or four episodes on success and energy and I love this, the way this conversation is going. The author, the author of the book, Shift Your Mind, he is a executive coach as well. Brian Levinson joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. Have you ever wanted to live a bucket list life? Or if you're a business owner, have you ever wanted to incentivize your team in unbelievable ways. I have got just the thing for you. You need to contact my friend Brad Norwood with Dream It Pro Professional Events. Brad's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and I can tell you he has helped numerous companies achieve unbelievable things through experienced travel. Experiences are what people want. They want to know how they can live incredible bucket list lives as well, too. And Brad can help you with both of those things. I can't give you any better encouragement than to give Brad and his team a call right now at 
or go to www.dreamitpro.com. And when you get there, click on events and you are going to see some unbelievable once in a lifetime experiences. And I promise you this, unlike plaques, awards, trophies, things like that, experiences and trips like these don't burn up in a fire. Again, go to www.dreamitpro.com today. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Brian, I, I want to now step aside, tell tell a bit of your story. And again, I want to leave you the room to just kind of go back as far as you want to go, a couple defining moments, or maybe some things that you've overcome in life that were difficult moments at the time and, and the lessons that you learned from it. I mean, I, I grew up in just a ridiculously privileged situation. And I use privilege. I know privilege gets people all hot and bothered in, in their world. And and I understand like different people come from different backgrounds and there are, there's complexity to each human, but I'll just speak from my lens. Like I grew up with loving parents who love each other as well, um, who were supportive of big dreams. And I think I've got, I've got two brothers and I think they really tried to nurture each of us differently while still having, you know, values and morals and, and baseline foundational elements of being a good human in a really profound way. And so I would start with my parents and just feeling really blessed and fortunate and privileged that I had them in my life. My community that I grew up in, I grew up in an idyllic neighborhood. My best friends lived in my neighborhood. We played, uh, we slept over each other's houses. To this day, I'm best friends with them. Um, and, and in my community, I, I live very close to where I grew up today. And I just think it's a great place to be a kid and, and to grow up. I mentioned dreams because my dad's a dreamer. He's an entrepreneur and he instilled that, I think, into me in a lot of ways. Um, and sort of the idea that, hey, you really can can go and do some special things. And, you know, I think a lot of confidence in our family. Um, I think my brothers and I all have confidence in ourselves and belief in ourselves. And I think having parents that instilled that in us is special. Um, and I, so I don't take that for granted. I'm painting a really rosy picture, but there, of course there were downsides. I got cut from my high school basketball team. I lost student government elections. Uh, girls weren't interested in me in high school, plenty of rejection there. And, um, and then in college, uh, I made some great friends. I loved my college experience, but I studied things I was interested in. So I studied sociology and African-American studies and political science. And it was really interesting to learn, uh, but it didn't, when I graduated, it wasn't exactly um, a career path from, from those elements. So, you know, I graduated from college. I went to a private university and I didn't have a job. And I got rejected from some of the things that I wanted to do. And, and so I faced adversity there for sure. And actually moved into my parents' house. I was once again, fortunate that they'd have me uh, for like a month when I graduated college and I got a job and was able to move out. Um, but yeah, my, my early years, I worked in sales and um, there was rejection there on a regular basis. Um, and then I ended up going to grad school, as I mentioned earlier, for sports psychology. I was really lucky because I struggled, I think, professionally out of college. I spent a lot of time 
picking people's brains and going to lunch and coffee and, you know, interviewing people and trying to find out what they did for a living. And as a result, I found a woman named Julie Ellian, who was a family friend. And we actually went to the Cheesecake Factory that you've referenced before we started recording yep. Chevy Chase. Uh, we had lunch there and, and that lunch changed my life. Um, she actually had me close my eyes and she said, uh, hey, Brian, um, I bet you could describe a lot of what's going on around us right now. And her point to me was that I'm, I'm pretty perceptive and that I see things that maybe others don't necessarily notice. And she felt like that would be a big gift and a leg up in the psychology world. So Julie mentored me and, and really introduced me to the world of sports psychology. I went to grad school. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was never great academically. I was always fine. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't good. I was never labeled gifted and talented or brilliant. I think, you know, if you ask a lot of my teachers in high school, if they think I'd write a book, I, I don't think a lot of them would have pegged me as the guy. Um, I did have teachers along the way that saw me. There was an English teacher when I was a freshman in college who saw me, and, and I think that was helpful. Um, but that's really my journey. And today, uh, I, I still work with some athletes and sports teams, but my business has really changed a lot. And I spend a lot of time working with leaders and executives. And I love that work. It's complex. It's nuanced. It's, it, it can make a big impact and, and really influence culture of organizations. And at the end of the day, like I really love working with curious, open-minded, highly driven people who are ambitious. And amb ambition can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I want to work with people who want to go toward their own vision of, of what success looks like for them. You know, I, I love what you said there about and, and what I what I wrote down was being intimate kind of intimately knowing rejection. And that that is a lot of people feel like, Brian, that that rejection is always gonna be a part of life because they've lived with it for so long and there's there, there it's always gonna be and, and not realizing what you realized is that rejection is something that you continue to overcome. And, and what it does is it's, it develops, for lack of a better word, it develops muscles inside of you, metal muscles, emotional muscle, muscles, that allow you to be able to go, okay, what was something that I learned from rejection? What was something that I took away from it? If I were to ask you that same question, what was the biggest lesson you learned from being intimate with rejection that has carried you forward in life? What, what would you say that is? First of all, we don't choose rejection. I don't know anyone who signs up and says, I'm going to want to get rejected when I ask this girl for her phone number. Or, you know, for me, I wanted to do Teach for America and, and go teach and um, in, in a lot of our inner city schools and, and they just rejected me and they said, no, we don't want you. Um, like I didn't choose that. I worked my ass off to prepare and to try to be great at that. Um, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. So I don't think we ever choose it. It's not, I, I don't go toward rejection and it's just the reality of life. Like nobody goes through life without scars. And so I, I use that term scars because, I think it's important to learn from your scars. You know, we always say adversity is a great teacher. I don't think that's really true. I think adversity could be an opportunity for us to reflect. And through the reflection, it can be a, a lesson. But plenty of people go through adversity and don't learn a damn thing. And so 
to me, I've learned to sit in the rejection. You know, when I went to, I, I, I mentioned my grad school, but I then went back to school again for executive coaching at Georgetown. And I got rejected from that the first time I applied. And keep in mind, I was, I think, 30 years old and I was working with an NBA team, a major league soccer team, a division one football team, three, three division one universities. Um, I did some consulting for an NHL team. Like my resume was pretty amazing from yeah. my lens. Like the sports psychology world would be like, dude, you're doing exactly what people in our world want to be doing, but they didn't care. And they rejected me. And I remember when I got rejected, it was my birthday. We were out to dinner with my family and I, I got the email right before we got, we, we sat down this and I got rejected and I turned to my wife and my parents and I remember they said to me, they're like, they're lost. Like, you know, like they don't know what they're missing. And it's interesting when I had gotten rejected up until that point, that was always my mindset, Brian. It was like, they're lost. I'll show them. Yeah. You'll see Brian Levinson. <laughs> like, you'll learn. And it was really interesting for that rejection. I didn't do that. You know what I did? I, I woke up the next morning I said, I want to go learn. I want to be really curious. Like, I wonder why I didn't get in. I called the school. <laughs> I said, can you give me feedback about why I didn't get in? And they said, we can't give you feedback, but we will tell you that we only accept 25% of our applicants. And we highly encourage you to apply again. I said, oh, that's interesting. Then I went on the website and I looked up all of the professors and I started just cold emailing them. Hey, I'd love to just learn more about the program and, and, and connect with you. A few of them responded. A few never did. Uh, I had phone calls with them. Just learn about the program, learn about what it's all about. One of them, I, I recognized the person's last name and it turns out I went to camp with his son. And so I reached out to him and he's like, why don't you come to my house and we'll chat. We had this amazing conversation and he ended up becoming a mentor of mine and he actually just passed away um, last mm -hmm. year. Um, but, but Neil became someone who, who helped me, figure out how to reapply and what my essay might want to look like. And I submitted my essay to him before I applied and he's like, looks perfect. Don't change a thing. And so I told that story because to me, the reflection of the adversity is where I learned the space to really try to explore it. The curiosity to explore it is where the learning occurred. If I had just said their loss, I'll show them they'll learn that might've helped a little bit. It might've helped me be energized and invigorated to go reapply, but I don't think I would have necessarily learned everything that I learned along my, my journey. And I, I'm not sure I would have gained a mentor like I did with Neil. And so I, I just encourage people that when they face some sort of rejection or adversity, feel it, like feel the sadness or the anger, or the frustration, and then lean into that and use it. Um, instead of using it to just be vindictive or, you know, to say, I, hey, I'll get you or to hold a grudge. No, go explore. All right. Well, why might that have happened? Um, and to me, that's changed how I handle rejection going forward. And instead of that primary thought of like, F you, I now try to say, all right, like, let's go explore what happened here. And sometimes there is no reason. Sometimes bad things just happen. Sometimes life is unfair. And, you know, that's, that's the reality too. But as I explored that, I, I discovered some things about myself and the way I approached the essay and the way I applied that made sense why they rejected me. I, I learned, like, I was just sharing all my accomplishments. They wanted to know how I was going to learn. They wanted to learn, know, hey, am I going to be in class as a learner instead of as a, a preacher or a teacher or, or an expert? And so 
I learned that about myself when I'm in situations, stay curious a little longer and, and maybe keep some convictions to myself. And then if I stay curious, then I can be really convicted. And man, oh man, that's a powerful blend. When you're curious first and convicted second, the world could use a little more of that. I love that. Stay curious a little longer, because again, I think that's great advice for leaders, for entrepreneurs, for, for coaches. If you're listening today, I got to think that's a big takeaway. Stay curious a little longer instead of, yeah, just I've got a sticky on. note right by yeah. my computer that says stay curious. And, um, like you're interviewing me. So I try to share everything I've learned. Um, but if it was reversed, like I have a million questions about you and your faith and, <laughs> and West Virginia and, um, you know, why you've got conservative in your bio. We don't have was, that kind of time, man, yeah, about like West I, Virginia. I mean, that's a, that's an all day thing, you know, I'm genuinely curious though. And, um, but for, it depends on what I'm doing and, yeah. you know, you mentioned my book, my book essentially is about this idea of when, and when to be one way and when to be another way. And so, the idea of shift your mind is that your mindset for preparation is actually different than your mindset for performance. And you need to be intentional and thoughtful about how you're showing up in preparation and how you're showing up in performance. And then in addition to that, you also need to practice both the preparation mind and the performance mind. And so I've spent over a decade working with elite performers. And then I've got a podcast called intentional performers where I've interviewed, I think it's like 270. I forget the number. Um, but I've interviewed all kinds of different people. And I mentioned the Kanye West uh, documentary I'm watching right now. Like it's fascinating to see how he shifted his mind in preparation and then how he shifted his mind when he got on the mic. And so I love studying people that are really thoughtful and intentional with how they set their mind in preparation and how they set their mind in performance. So I spent about four years writing the damn book on it. Um, and I'm really proud of it. Like I, like I don't always take time to really acknowledge it, but man, oh man, like I think I wrote a damn good book and um, it took a lot of energy. I got coached uh, by a brilliant woman named Larry. She helped me tremendously and I poured my heart and soul into the book. And, you know, I, I, I do care that I get it into as many hands and heads as possible. Um, and we'll continue to work. That's why I say yes to the podcast. I, 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 if you liked anything you, you heard from me today, then you can get 250 pages of me. Um, and it's all of me in there. You can listen to the audiobook. I, I published it on Audible as well, which was a painful experience, which I didn't like doing. Um, <laughs> Been there, yeah. done that, man. Been there, done yeah. that. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I am. I, I, I think I, I, I earned the right to say like, yeah, I think my book is worth reading. And yeah. uh, if you're interested in mindset, I think we need to start talking about when and we need to start talking about, you don't need to be one way all the time. We all are complex and we need to think about when do I need to be this way? And when do I need to be that way? And, and we don't do a good enough job adding nuance to the world. And that's why I like doing long form podcasts. You get all of me and unfiltered and unedited and, and I, I'm human and I'll make mistakes and I'll say something today that you probably disagree with. Totally cool. I'll probably say something that I disagree with three years from now. So, um, you know, Brian, this has been a blast. Uh, Brian, I, I, the pleasure has been all mine. Absolutely. The pleasure has been all mine. Go to Twitter, follow him at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Levinson, L-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. Also, if you want to find out more about his company, go to strongskills.co, strongskills.co. Brian, what a great pleasure it's been having you on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you, my friend, for joining me today. Thanks to you for inspiring people and that word intentional, I, my podcast, same thing, intentional performers, intentional encouragers. 
Brian's, I think we're similar in a lot of ways and I'm sure we're different in a lot of ways. And, and hopefully we can continue to uncover both of those as we get to know each other better through the years. So thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.